Would you open your Bibles to the book of uh, Galatians chapter 6? Last week we, be, uh, we began a little conversation after the Supreme Court ruling. I was in Haiti when that went down. and We just began a conversation because we looked at what culture was saying and oftentimes when the church is... When the culture starts talking about something, the culture uh, starts saying this or that, and, and we go the opposite direction. And, and I feel as a church, shame on us if we're not talking about what the culture is talking about. And so last week I talked specifically about the Supreme Court ruling and what it means for us in, in same-sex marriage, but what it means for us as believers. And I encourage you to go back and listen to that. I'm not going to uh, re-preach that. But I felt that I needed to separate them because they are separated Scripturally, meaning that there's what the kingdoms of this world will do. And there's the kingdom that we're involved with, the kingdom of God. Different kingdom, different reaction. And so, and I was actually talking uh, with Angie uh, last week, Angela Reno, and the idea that we're a representative government. And I get all of that, and she gets it, and we were talking like, but it's like, that's kind of, that, you know, 1973 when the Supreme Court ruled... Uh, that we could murder babies in our country. I feel like there's a beginning of a divorce from us realizing that even in a representative country of government, that the reason that Jesus says that the government will be on his shoulders when he returns is because we can't get it right. I believe we'll be able to stand before him and we'll look back at thousands of years of human history and say, man, we tried it every which way but loose and we didn't do it. We always messed it up. So we give Jesus that authority because we know that he will get it right. And this week as we're thinking about the culture and what the culture is telling us as it relates to sexuality, to same-sex marriage, to transgenderism, to bisexuality, we can let the culture preach and disciple our children. And if you're uncomfortable, by the way, you might think, man, I really came on the wrong Sunday. Um, just know your kids are talking about it. If you've got kids in here, understand if you're not talking about it, they are. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. And it has a lot that we've gotten right and a lot we've gotten wrong, but it has a lot to say about it. And when we let culture make decisions, uh, Maddie, do you remember we were driving through Uganda just two months ago with Alex Matala, the wise African man, and we were seeing all these herds of cattle. They look like Texas longhorns, but they were like uh, old, and he told me that they had no meat, no milk, that these cows were basically worthless. And he said that they would, um, the more cows they had, this is what culture dictated in these villages, the more cows you had, the more successful you were, the more uh, respected you were in the community, the more accepted you were. He said, but the problem is, is that these cows provide no milk. And he said, they're meat. It's like eating a shoe. Do you know what I mean when I say a shoe? I'm like, yes, I, I know exactly what you mean. I've been to Golden Corral. Like, I get that. Uh, <laughs> If there's a golden crown, I really am sorry. I shouldn't, I shouldn't just assume. It would be funny if the only people I offended today were golden corral people, because I got plenty more. So like, if you want to be offended, just hold on. Um, but he said that this culture tells them the more cows they have, the better for them. And these cows compete for the water. These cows take up most of their day, and these cows give them nothing in return. He said the government has tried to introduce new cows, beef cattle, that would survive and thrive in this culture that would provide meat and milk, and they won't do it because their culture has dictated otherwise. And it was funny because as they were having this conversation about what culture in America is dictating, like any good wise African, he uses the example right in front of us going, see, that's cows. That's what happens when you front with culture is that the culture dictates to you something that everybody agrees with but makes no logical sense. And I believe that in our culture right now that we are having conversations that even if you were to, and I won't, I will not remove the Bible from it, but even if you were to remove the Bible from the equation, that there are scientists, there are doctors, Johns Hopkins University doctors who disagree with what's happening in our culture from a scientific standpoint, from a non-Christian sociological, they just, they don't, they, they're saying this is dangerous, the road that we've, we've embarked on. But as is always the case, it didn't start with a doctor from Johns Hopkins University. It started with God. And in Galatians chapter 6, if you've got your Bibles, I would encourage you to keep them out and to follow along with me. But in Galatians 
6, we've been going through this book of Galatians for what seems like about a year. In verse 7, he says, Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Father, would you give us wisdom this morning and insight? Let your word be the lamp for us. The culture is so dark right now, but let the word of God shine brightly into the culture and show us that you really were right, that you were the way, you are the truth, you are the life. In your name we pray, amen. A few years ago, uh, I got a text message while I was in Haiti from a really good friend of mine who said, hey man, can we meet like this week? And you can feel in the tone of a text that it's a serious invitation. And again, I was shallow a minute ago, I'll just continue on the, the, here's how shallow pastors can be. My shallowness was, oh, this is the I'm leaving the church conversation. Because <laughs> i got to have your wife there and my wife and we got to all be together. I'm like, oh, man. And I remember, I was like, and I've known this guy for years. And by the way, I'm changing the names. Okay, so for, for the purposes of this story, this will be Johnny and June. So Johnny, <laughs> or Johnny and Jeannie. We could go Bon Jovi, I guess. These are all the Jeannie Johnny stories, right? Too many Jeannie Johnny songs. We meet with, uh, with Johnny and his wife, and Johnny tells me, but keep in mind, this is a very close friend. I've known him for years. And he says, in more crass language than I will use this morning, we have been um, having sex with, and names another family, another couple, for the past six months. And he said it with the kind of terror and horror and sadness and shock and like someone who had been through a war, because, frankly, he had. And he and his wife had at some point over bad decisions and alcohol. By the way, we can blame it on alcohol, but the fact of the matter is all alcohol did was give him the liquid courage to try to do something that he thought about when he was sober. That started long before that. And that day was, uh, I don't know that kick in the gut is a strong enough word. Because all I could think was, man, what about the kids? What about the kids of the other family? What about the relationships? Because I knew what it meant. It meant that this relationship was destroyed. They made a deal. Oh, nobody's going to fall in love. It's like they'd never saw Seinfeld before. That can't, it doesn't work. Like the four Seinfeld fans are like, oh, I remember that episode. <laughs> There's no such thing as friends with benefits. Teenagers, adults, it just, it's not, it doesn't work that way. And what happened was exactly what was going to happen, which was that eventually the wires got crossed and the souls were intermingled. And now the deal, we're not going to fall in love with each other, was completely shattered. And one of the spouses threatening to leave the other. and Suicide. Uh, you know, of, of feelings of, of, of shame and guilt, and now these families can't even be in the same room together, obviously. And as I walked through that journey, it was a long journey. And by the way, if you're new here, you have no idea who these people are. And if you've been around a while, uh, don't, you don't know them either. I'm just, just so if, if your mind is suddenly disengaged to try to figure out who that is, you don't know them, and so don't, I don't want you to miss the rest of what I'm saying. But this actually happened. And what's sad, is it's not the only story. You know, Shannon and I, when we started out on this road, I was in the music business for crying out loud. I thought I'd seen everything. As it turns out, I had not. And I say that from a standpoint of what I finally understand when I read 1 Corinthians 5 and Paul speaking of the, of the sexual immorality that was the perversion that had existed there in that church at Corinth. In verse 2 he says, you guys are boasting, but shouldn't you be mourning? Shouldn't you be sad about this? I heard it said once that if you're not broken over someone else's sin, it's probably because your heart isn't broken over your own. And I know it's definitely because you don't understand the implications.
relationships destroyed. And some of you, maybe this morning, you're in the middle of it right now. And so I can say here this morning that I'm not angry at you. I feel compassion for you and I'm mourning for you and for your children and for our children. Because God, when he designed sex, when he designed sexuality, he designed, I don't know, maybe you don't believe this, but if you believe and concede with me that God created man and he created sex and sexuality, he created male and female, he created the ability for us to create. He says he made us in his image and part of that image was that we would create which means he designed you, he designed sex. And listen, he who designs it gets to define it. The designer is the definer. And the reason that he's defined it the way he did was he understood the consequences, the danger of it getting outside of what was intended. Some of you are thinking, wait, I thought this was the anti-gay sermon. (laughs) he defined it in Genesis 2 24 when he said man and woman and they would the two would become one flesh Jesus would pick up on that idea and say that the two would become one speaking of Adam and Eve Paul would then go on to say right in 1 Corinthians 6 and if you've got your Bible we're going to be there in a minute so you can be ahead of the class that the two would become one. He was defining it for us because it was the way that he designed it that it would be best and most healthy for us. And in a fallen world, when we deviate from that original plan, the results are always destruction. We know this because Galatians 5 tells us tells us what Say, you know what, I'll just read it. You don't have to go there. Tells us what the acts of the flesh are. By the way, if you're here to hear the anti-gay sermon, just see if you can identify yourself in this list, and then we'll all be on a level playing field. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, Fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then he would go on in Galatians 6 to say that if you have sowed after the flesh, you will reap a harvest of destruction after the flesh. Don't be deceived. You sow after this, this is the results of it. God doesn't hate sin because he's some giant buzzkill and doesn't want you to have fun. He understands that there is a destruction in your life. There is no such thing as a victimless sin. And the danger of what we've had in our culture has been a redefining, saying, hey, I appreciate your enthusiasm, God, but I have some other ideas of what sexuality could be. And what's happening is a culture is I mean, there's a reason why Russell Brand gets on YouTube with a million views saying that pornography destroyed his marriage. This is just one of the clips of it, but he gets it. Like, you don't even have to go to the Bible, but you, the good news is the Bible, all he's doing is confirming what the Scriptures told us for years. In a culture right now, that says that we should embrace just who we are. And the Bible was saying, you, these, there are consequences to these decisions. And I'm here this morning with no stones in my pocket, with no rocks to throw at you, because we all stand on a level playing field before the cross. But I am here to say that I may not have stones, but I have truth. And the Bible speaks very specifically, warns us, repeatedly not to destroy your lives. And I know I used the example of what happened with this, these two couples and you think, well, that's extreme. At least I didn't do that, right? But even in that list of Galatians 5, you can go back and say, okay, but I, I can still find myself in there. Fits of rage, drunkenness. I mean, I can find myself in that list pretty quickly and say that all of those result 
in a level of and category of destruction. But I am specifically this morning addressing the issue of homosexuality. I wanted to make sure and lay out that there's lots of variations, specifically of fornication, specifically of sexual immorality. But what's happening, even as we speak, is that our culture is telling us that homosexuality is, I'm made that way, and I should pursue that because how, how else could I be happy? There's a, you know this right now, and some of you right now, I can tell by posture, some of you are like, yeah, I believe that. And some of you are probably getting angry with me right now. And I would ask for your patience, and I would ask for your listening ear and for logic, and I would ask you to be a Berean this morning. What's a Berean? A Berean was the one that said, I'm going to look at the scriptures for myself and see if these things are true. I would encourage you to do that. Don't take my word for it. Take God's word for it. And if you don't view the scriptures, the Holy Bible, this scripture with the high view of scripture, that this is God's inspired word, this supernatural message, well, you might as well go home because you got up early for nothing. <laughs> Meaning that if this is just a book, you can go home and read a book. If I don't have some sort of a plumb line for truth, well, let's read The Fountainhead then. That was a good book. But that's not, and I believe that that's not what this is, and that's why we can hold this high view of this is because God, in his supernatural power, communicated this message for us that communicates what sexuality is and is not, and the why behind the what, and that's what we're going to talk about here. That he who defined, designs it gets to define it. And there are myths about sexuality, about homosexuality, about just sexuality in general. There are myths that permeate our culture, that permeate our schools, that permeate our government. Myths that permeate churches in this town, preachers in this town preaching. Myths that, well, maybe did God really say? Does that sound familiar? <laughs> did God really say to Eve, isn't God just holding out on you? If you really understood, you'd be like him, equal with God. One of the myths in our culture is that sex is just an appetite. That all it is is who you are and no harm, no foul. Why would you withhold the appetite? And, and here's the thing. Again, logically, if you think about it logically, you know that that's not true. Think of another sin in the scripture, gluttony, for instance. I, I know that there are no dark theaters in downtown where you pull back a little curtain and you watch a big dude just gorging himself on desserts. Because it's not the same. That's not the same appetite. And if you are doing that, <laughs> well, good luck. <laughs> I don't know. That's a whole other sermon, <laughs> Roger. <laughs> <laughs> and the appetite permeates our culture because that idea and that view permeates our culture. Russell Wilson this past week tells his pastor in a little Sunday morning, hey, I, me and my wife Sierra, we're, gonna, uh, we're abstaining, we're doing it Jesus' way, we're going to wait till we're married before we have sex. And what happens? Twitter blows up with dudes like Bomani Jones saying, this is just an unhealthy thing. Now, keeping in mind, the same Twitter celebrated and heralded Bruce Jenner a week ago and saying, hey, this decision, so it's not about equality. Let's be honest. It's equality as long as you're doing what I want you to do. And I just wanted to be clear that there's, let's, be, let's have the logical conversation, not the irrational one, the rational one. So he was being crucified. I mean, look how many retweets he's got. I mean, it's, that's because all the guy says, I just want to wait till I'm married. And Bomani Jones, a personality on ESPN, blasts him for it. And it just, you can go and find it. The Twitter, he just continues to blast this poor guy. And whether or not you agree with what I believe that the scriptures say about homosexuality, whatever, we can, can we at least look at that and say, that's kind of irrational to treat him that way. That it's an appetite. By the way, this is not a new view. In 1 Corinthians 6, I don't know if you're there yet, but in 1 Corinthians 6, this view was held long ago that this is just an appetite. 
Because what did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 13? Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both, and uh, one and the other. Same, look, it's just, that's food and body, whatever, but that's all going to be, that's all gone when you die someday. And he goes on to say that uh, the, food, the, body is meant for, uh, the body is not meant for, see how he's conflating these two together? It is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body, and God raised the Lord. So he talks about this, that this idea of that it's just an appetite 2,000 years ago, he was saying, that's crazy. He's rebuking that idea, that it's more profound than that. And look at me, if you think that it is, if you, I'm going to give you one way that you already know this. If you were sexually abused as a child, you know that what happened to you is profound and painful and way different than if somebody sat you down and forced you to eat a cake. And I don't mean to belittle that, but I'm saying that you, you know it in your own heart and your own soul. That's different than this. And he's saying that don't lower your sexual identity, who you are, what I've created, this miraculous thing. Don't lower it to just appetite. It's much more profound and much more mysterious than that. Because he would go on to talk about that the two would become one. He quotes Genesis, the two becoming one. It's not an appetite. It's a picture of God and his relationship with us. It's the closest to heaven we get this side. In the Garden of Eden, the two were... You you ever wonder why Eve didn't get a name until after the fall? Think about that. Because in the beginning, in the garden, nobody knew where one started and the other ended. The two had become one. And in Genesis 3, after the fall, it was when... And then he called her name Eve. That was what it was meant to be. Because it was a picture of God and the relationship of us. Which was why Jesus would confirm it and Paul would emphasize it. That's why one day there won't be marriage anymore. Did you remember that? That Jesus said, hey, one day there won't be marriage. When you're in heaven, there won't be. And I hope and Shannon and I get to be roommates because I kind of like her. Like, I like her. I don't know if it's like Ken and Barbie. I don't know like how it works. But do you know what I mean? Anyway, I'm sorry. I told you it was PG-13. Yeah, I meant what you thought I meant. Sorry. Anyway. But there won't be marriage anymore because we don't need the picture anymore. This picture was just for this period of time. And so for us to pervert it, whether through adulterous relationships, through pornographic relationships, through homosexual relationships, anything deviates from what God created it for is attacking the very picture of what God's relationship with you was meant to be. The masculine and the feminine. Did you know that God, Jehovah Jireh, that is a masculine name. The strong, all-providing one. That guy is strong. El Shaddai is the all-breasted one. Speaking of a maternal side of God, he is neither male nor female, but he has attributes of both. So creating the masculine and the feminine that come together is a picture of God. And for us to say there is no difference between male and female is at best scientifically um, Sunday. Not true. (laughs) And it's at worst blasphemous. It's not just an appetite. Another myth in our culture, and if you grew up in the kind of churches around I did, wasn't that it was an appetite that should be satisfied at all costs, it was that it was to be avoided at all costs. Grit and bear it. Don't talk about it. Turn the lights out. It's over. We don't talk about it. We don't, you know. And Paul would say in verse 1 of chapter 7, hey, for those of you that it was written, you guys wrote and asked about, it's not good for a man to have sexual relations with a woman. He rebukes that as well. Because that is also not a healthy view of sexuality. It's not the understanding of what it really is, which is this picture of God in our marriage and the closest, again, that we ever get to heaven this side. If you grew up in the era I did, you may or may not relate to this. Anybody ever pray the prayer, God, please don't don't send Jesus back till I get married? Now, here's the thing about that. You know as well as I do. At some point, there's going to be a, now you may kiss your bride and, you know, trumpet. Like, oh, 
I missed it by that much. <laughs> it might be Russell and Sierra for all we know, but we just know that that was, but here's the thing, the reason you long for that moment is it's the closest to heaven you'll get, and I promise you after the trumpet blows, if you didn't get it on the side of heaven, that whatever's on the other side, if it's better than that, I'm really looking forward to heaven. And I don't mean to belittle or to lower or to make it sound crass, but I'm just saying, what if that's, because that's kind of awesome. I'm 44, you know, kids cover your ears, but that, that's awesome. <laughs> my, my kids are in here, Hi. <laughs> Because you know that's how you guys got here, right? Yeah, yeah. Another myth in our culture, a myth in our churches, is that all sin is the same. That's all sin. All have sin, but not all sin is the same. And again, you know this. In your heart of hearts, it's natural. You understand that there are different consequences to behavior. That's why there are different categories of behavior. That's why someone that steals gets a different sentence in a prison setting than someone who murders because it's a different category, a different consequence. A different consequence because someone who murders has literally ripped apart a family and stolen this family member and this gift of them. Someone who stole their car, they can get another one. It's a different category because the consequence is different. And Paul says that here when he talks about in verse 18 that flee from sexual immorality. Listen, every, he's right now he's saying These are, this is different. This is a different sin. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person's sin against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God, you are not your own. Or do you not know, verse 16, that he who has joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her, for as it is written, the two shall become one flesh. It's different. Which is why I could force you to eat a cake, and you might be mad at me, unless the cake was really good. Way different than someone being forced to, and if you've, if you've been raped, if you have had sexual abuse in your life, I have, I was abused as a child. It was different. You don't unsee it, you don't unexperience it. It's a different category. There's a different level of category because there's a different consequence. In the scriptures, he, there are levels of sin when he speaks of, the word we're all familiar with, sin, which is missing the mark, like I've shot at the target and I missed it. I've missed it, that's a sin, that's called that. There's Transgression, which is more serious, which is, I'm trying to kind of miss it. I'm, I'm really just, you know, it's, it's different. It's iniquity. It's a, there's uh, iniquity, which is, you know what? I know this is wrong, but I'm doing it anyway. Let the consequences be damned. I'm doing it anyway. That is iniquity. And then abomination, which is the sins where it stinks in the nostrils of God. And again, I wish, I, I feel like I have to reiterate over and over again. He hates it because of the consequences. You see, what he did at the cross was complete. You're forgiven perfectly. I'm forgiven perfectly. But it doesn't absolve me of the consequences of bad decisions in my life. when you speak of sexuality in general, sex outside of the, the design of God, whether it's a homosexual behavior, pornographic, fornication, pornea, it all falls under that category because none of it falls under Genesis 2.24. And teenagers, I really want you to listen to me. But you know what, I, there's some adults in here and I just feel like you need to listen as well. The reason that the Bible speaks so strongly of this, I believe, that the two becoming one, that there's this power that holds you together that's miraculous. We have sticky traps at our house. We live out in the country. You know about sticky traps? Did you guys know that rats live in the country? <laughs> like, I totally didn't know that. I thought, like, as in the Disney movies, it's always little cute little mice in your country, and then the, those, the rats live in town. 
we found a giant rat like drown in one of our trash cans, and I'm like, well, this changes everything. Like, what, what are you talking about? But the sticky traps are for all kinds of critters that come in the country. This is what you have to look forward to, Krishna. Um, when you, we just laid out like Chris, sticky traps yesterday. Uh, and it's like my kid, <laughs> this is sad, maybe this is sad. Ashley's like, it's like Christmas. <laughs> because we, <because laughs> she actually said that. Because it means that we get all the spiders and the new traps are there. But here's what, what she's really saying is that that sticky trap, over time, overuse isn't as sticky anymore. Dust and whatever. And I, f- I feel like what the Lord was saying was, that in a marriage, in a, in a new marriage especially, that sexual intimacy together sticks and holds that marriage together. And every time you've given yourself, you give yourself to someone else, I think one of the consequences is, is that the, the, the trap sounds so negative all of a sudden, but that the, the stickiness of this bond is weakened. And I wonder if that's one of the reasons why the divorce rate is so high in our country that our bond wasn't as tight because I gave a little bit of my bond to someone else. And I gave more of my bond. Now thank God for grace, thank God for miracles and that you can plow through and work through it, but wouldn't it be better? Isn't that what God was really saying in the design of sex and sexuality, that this was a, this miracle power that would hold you together? Wouldn't it be better if you didn't have to fight that fight in your first year of marriage? And just focus on the toothpaste and who's rolling the tube where or whatever. But I'm thankful for a God that is all-knowing and, more, you know, but all sin isn't the same. There are different categories and different consequences, and it's one of the reasons why I believe that God so specifically speaks of sexuality and says, pornea, he says, fornication, homosexuality, those are sins that let's not, don't go there. It will, it's not gonna end well for you. Another one of the myths is that, by the way, the Bible doesn't say anything specifically about homosexuality. And I want to say this, hopefully humbly, but definitely truthfully, that's just not true. It's just not true. If you were to have stumbled into a Bible somewhere and have never read it before, and you just read it from Genesis all the way to Revelation, you couldn't possibly which is why pastors in other countries are looking at America, not the government, they understand that. They're looking at the church going, how did that even get into their minds? Like they're... Now again, if we want to have the conversation of whether or not the Bible is accurate, if you want to have a conversation about whether or not the Bible is God's inspired word and errant, those are all conversations. But whether it says it or not, I mean, the Bible is not unlike a man. You can torture him long enough and make it say whatever you want to. But understand... 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, specifically mentions homosexuality in the list. Romans 12, or I'm sorry, Romans 1, 26 through 27, specifically mentions homosexuality. 1 Timothy 1, 10, specifically mentions homosexuality. And there are those who would say, yeah, but you know, because I'm telling you, if you study long enough and Google enough, you're going to say, well, it wasn't the original words, and they use the words malakoi or arsenikoni or, you know, and that wasn't maybe the original use, and nobody in that day, they didn't really use that language to s- discuss homosexuality or, s- or committed same-sex loving relationships. If you're a person that likes to read 800-page books, Thomas Hubbard, he's not a Christian, by the way, sociologist, wrote what is the go-to volume on the history of same-sex expression in ancient history, and he wrote that homosexuality in Greece uh, shows that they use the exact same words that Paul uses in all their ancient literature, that it wasn't rare, that it was common, and that it was the same words that Paul uses. So, again, we have the conversation whether or not the scriptures are accurate. That's a whole other sermon. But what does it actually say? In Romans 1, Verse 26, that for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions and for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. 
There's a guy that wrote a commentary named Richard Hayes, and he said, he's from Duke University, that Paul here depicts gay and lesbian activity as an outward epitomization of the inward posture of all sin. Okay, we're all back on that level playing field. And that inward posture is a rejection of the creator's design and a rejection of his authority. That's the sin beneath the sin. Romans 1 says that it's unnatural. And look, I want you, if you're here this morning, and hear me say this, if you're struggling with same-sex attraction, you're thinking, but it feels, that's what feels natural to me. That is what feels natural. The other feels unnatural. One of the things we do with our children, isn't it, what we tell them and teach them is that, hey, what feels natural isn't always the right decision. As a male, me, as a male, the sex drive in a man, by the way, if you're young and you think someday I'm going to be older and this will all go away, <laughs> whatever. I thought that too. But in a male, you know what a man wants to see? Naked ladies and lots of them. Now imagine me coming home to Shannon and saying, you know what's natural to me? Is naked ladies. And I would like more of those in our marriage. Shannon is going to do what is natural to her. <laughs> Which will involve a pocket knife, <laughs> cast iron skillet, whatever else was in throwing distance. So if you think, I mean, the logical thing, like that's, and if you're a man and you're especially have not struggled with same-sex attraction, you know what I'm talking about. And if not, man, congratulations to that because that's one that, I, you know, I wish that God would have taken away from me in my life that that wasn't it. In the same way that many of you, if you've struggled with same-sex attraction, have prayed, God, please take this from me. And we're gonna talk about that in a minute because if you're feeling shamed right now and you're feeling, I want you to know that there's hope and there's gospel, I just needed to say that the Bible is saying this and so we, I want to at least build a foundation that we could build from and then say what, is, what does the Bible really say because the Bible also says, by the way, and if you're astute, and maybe you've already thought this, or maybe you've already tweeted it, uh, is that, but doesn't the Bible also say you can't eat shellfish? And look, Darren, I notice you're wearing some bizarre fabric. Clearly not <laughs> acceptable in Levitical law. Parenthetically, what I, the scriptures I just read were from the New Testament. And if anything, the New Testament is more adamant and, you know, than the Old Testament was. But what this doesn't do, and it's an oversimplification of what God was really saying because there was the moral law, there was the civil law, there was the sacrificial law. All of it was fulfilled in Christ and taken care of and done away with. But the moral law, even though that's why Paul would say, hey, all things are lawful, permissible, but they're not all going to be beneficial for you. In 1 Corinthians 6, because the adultery thing, that was also a testament. I, like, by doing this today, this is a different category. There are no consequences other than this is not the, the coolest shirt. And some of you guys are feeling like, oh, there's a tragedy, all right. It is the fashion tragedy happening right in front of me. But the consequence of this versus adultery are totally different. The consequences of violating the picture of God and his love for you and the pursuit of you and wanting this relationship with you, that violation has a different level of consequences. And that is why that still applies in the day and age that we're in. And then there are those who would say, yeah, but Jesus himself never spoke of homosexuality. He never uttered the words. Again, humbly. Did he ever speak against homosexuality? I want to humbly and say, I disagree with that premise. And I'm going to give you a little example right now. If you're a woman, do this with me. Would you stand right where you're sitting if you're a woman, Shannon included? Just a female. I just want to show you something. I want to give you a picture that you're not going to forget. I can tell you who my wife is by pointing out. It's not Kim. It's not Kelly. It's not Lucy. It's not, or all the other women sit down. Shannon, stay standing. Or I could just say, hey, that's my wife. That's the ideal. That's Shannon. Thank you. You can sit down. Jesus spoke of what the ideal was by the fact that he didn't specifically mention that same-sex attraction. Considering this is God in the flesh, who said, when he stood up to read the Torah, when he stood up to read the Bible, what do you think he was reading? The Old Testament. I mean, that goes a step further. If you have a problem with Noah, you have a Jesus problem. It's incongruent to say, I follow Jesus and do not believe in Jonah, because Jesus did. 
He gave the apostles the authority to go and speak on my behalf. And what did they do? They spoke on his behalf. It's intellectually dishonest. My opinion. To say that Jesus never spoke on the issue. I'm going to take this a step further, and I maybe shouldn't, but in my opinion, if you have a low view of Scripture that doesn't believe that this was God's Word inspired, inherently communicated, and handed down to us accurately the way it was written, then why bother with it at all? Atheism is an intellectually honest answer. That is not. To try to torture it to make it say what I want to is intellectually dishonest. Some of you are this morning thinking, yeah, but Darren, there are those that disagree with you, and you're right, you can find them. Google it. Top 20 results are not going to be me, which is a whole other conversation about algorithms and whatever, but throughout history, up until about the last 40 years, on this issue of specifically homosexuality, the church across the board, from Catholic to Protestant, throughout denominations, throughout the millennia, were uniform and unanimous, unanimous, <laughs> unanimous on this one issue. It wasn't until 40 years ago, until we put on the lens of cultural orthodoxy, not scriptural orthodoxy, but cultural orthodoxy. And cultural orthodoxy says that I must at all times and always, actually I'm just going to read what I wrote because this is what cultural, I think, orthodoxy says. You must at all costs be yourself and express yourself and your sexual desires. You must define your identity and to, listen, and to deny who you are will cause you psychological damage. That's what cultural orthodoxy says. Whoever you are, just be that and if you don't, you're going to harm yourself. And it's just accepted as truth and fact. And the fact of the matter is, is if you don't even have to think very hard on it and just think critically, think, well, that's actually not a very good advice for me. And in history, ironically, the only example I could think of, and it was actually Josh uh, at the bridge, Josh Howerton, I, I listened to his teaching, and he brought out, and I found the letter he was talking about, that ironically to me, the example that I can find in history of where this happened, where the cultural lens was put on top of the biblical lens to make something say something it didn't, during uh, slavery, during the Civil War. Now, the news would have you to believe, and Twitter would have you to believe, that the entire church signed off on and agreed with slavery. That is not accurate. It was a small but vocal group, just like today, by the way. But there was a letter written from a, a group of Presbyterian pastors, and here's what they, they wrote. They said, uh, the only reason you can find biblical justification is because you're reading the Bible through your own cultural blinders, and all this cultural pressure to believe a certain thing, so you look and find what you want to find. And that's what I believe is happening in our culture today. I don't really want it to say that. Trust me, I didn't want it to say that. Because as I speak these words today, I have in mind friends that are lifelong friends of mine. Think of my friend who's a worship pastor at a mega church in Tulsa, who has wrestled with same-sex attraction his whole life. He's 50 years old. Think of my friend in Buffalo, New York, who I've known, we used to toilet paper our college campus together. Like, I've known him forever. Struggled with same-sex attraction his whole life. He's 48 now. And you in here right now, you're either, you maybe you're struggling with it yourself, or you're thinking about, okay, this is great, Darren, I can love others, but what about loving my gay son? What about loving my gay brother? What about you? You've made your case. What do we do about it? What does it mean for us? I think it starts with understanding this, that sexual ethics are not the center of Christianity. The center of our message of gospel is not whether you're gay or straight. The center of our message is in my place, he stood condemned. You see, the enemy from the beginning of time, 
Have you ever noticed why in the top, in the ten, the top ten, in the top ten list of what not to do, the ten commandments? <laughs> you ever notice it doesn't say thou shalt not lie? It says thou shalt not bear false witness. I can find two examples in scripture of false witness. When Jesus was being condemned by Pilate, what did they do? They brought forth false witnesses. And what did the false witness say? He said he was going to tear down the temple and he was blasphemous. He did say that. That was true. It was the right information. But he didn't mean that. He meant, he says this, he spoke of what was to come, his resurrection. Right information, wrong implication is false witness. Right information is that homosexuality, according to the scripture, is sin. Wrong implication is now you must be ostracized, now you must be shamed, now you must be kicked out of here. That's the wrong implication. Right information, it's missing the mark. Wrong implication. And I feel like I need to define something for you here. When I say gay, there are different ideas that come to mind. Because really the question isn't the question, I think, can I be gay and follow Jesus? Now, if you mean gay by I have same-sex attraction, I've struggled with it, and maybe your whole life you've wrestled with it. Can I be gay and have that same-sex attraction and follow Jesus? What's the answer? Thank you, Jesus. Because I can have lust and wrestle with that my whole life and still follow Jesus. Thank you, God, for the mercy. Or do you mean gay by that's my identity now? I'm gonna fo- this is my people. This is my crew. I'm, I've got my Facebook page with the rainbows on it because this is my, I'm identifying with my group of people. Can I do that and follow Jesus? I think that that line blurs more now. Can I follow Jesus and thirdly say that, look, I've struggled with this. These are my people and I give up. I'm, this is who I am, and I, I want to be loved and accepted, understandable that you would want that. I want that. But I'm done wrestling. When Paul speaks of sin, he speaks of it in terms of wrestling and struggling. And the third one to me is saying, I'm tapping out. I'm done. I can't. This is how I am. It's too hard. And whether that is with, I remember counseling a young couple when we were, uh, they were very first married, and he had a very pronounced and uh, very out in the open problem with pornography and he refused to understand that there were consequences to that decision. How could his wife possibly feel like that way? Because he's not hurting anything. By the way, where, where do you think the sex trafficking industry sends a lot of their workers? No consequences? Are you kidding me? Every time you think about that, the next time you hit play. Who is she? She has a daddy. There are consequences. And can I be gay and follow that line? And I tell you that the scripture indicates to me that you cannot follow Jesus. I believe that maybe this is our rich young ruler issue of the day. What was the rich young ruler? Sell everything you have and follow me. And he says he put his head down and he was sad and he walked away because he couldn't. So when I say gay this morning, I want you to understand that there are different meanings, different, we have, all have different definitions. But if you're somebody this morning and that's been your struggle and your shame your whole life, and maybe you've prayed, God, please take me away. I don't, I don't want this. And maybe you've struggled with suicide. Maybe your parents sent you to the gay therapy. Maybe, and, you, and here you are, 50 or 14 or whatever, and it's still there. Well, you know, I don't know why God didn't take it away. I don't know why God doesn't take away the lust in every man other than we were created a certain way and we live in a fallen world and that my sexuality would say I should do these things in the fallen world, the fallen nature of who I am says go this way or go that and Jesus is constantly inviting you back. Don't go there. You're escalating it. It's going to go too far. I don't know why he didn't take it away. When Jacob wrestled with him, with God. Do you remember that story in the book of Genesis? When, by the way, if you're wrestling with this issue, if you're wrestling with God with this issue, I think it's awesome. You know why? Wrestling requires intimacy. 
means you're being intimate with God. And what happened with Jacob was that God, and he wrestled, and he got injured. Do you remember this? Injured his leg. And it said that he fashioned a cane out of wood, and Jacob would walk the rest of his life injured, incomplete, leaning on a tree, leaning on the cross. I don't know why he didn't. I think, though, that there's a gift in it in that I don't have it all together. And it's a reminder that in who I am, I'm going to have to lean on Jesus the rest of my life. And if I didn't have that when Paul said, why, you know, why do I do the things I don't want to do? He speaks of that in Romans. He talks about this thorn in the flesh. I prayed, God, take it away, and he didn't. He just said that my grace is sufficient for you. And listen to this, and in your weakness, I am strong. I wonder if my friend in Tulsa, that maybe that's the cross that he bears for his life. And maybe he will someday step into eternity and God never took away that attraction, but he did his best and he kept going back to the cross and to Jesus. Do you think that a thousand years into eternity that he will look back and regret it? That he just, all he did was listen to God, like I'm just gonna listen to what you've said because I know that it's best for me, that me following that behavior is not gonna end well for me. But what's happened in our culture has been the opposite of that, which is with abortion, it was my body, my choice. My choice, it's my body. Sexuality is, hey, it's my body, my business. None of your business, it's my business. My body, my business. Jesus, on the last night of his life here on earth, when he was a, before his crucifixion, stood up from a table and he took a loaf of bread and he said, my body, broken for you. The cross. Why we do this often in remembrance of him? Because my body is broken too. And I can lean on the cross knowing that my body doesn't, it's fallen, it's gonna, what do you say? This is your body, it's one with me and it's gonna eventually go away anyway. This body is broken down, it is, you are dying right now. It's going away. He talks about it as a tent in 1st Corinthians, or 2nd Corinthians, it's a tent. So maybe today it's not my body, my business, not my body, my choice, but my body buried. Buried in the waters of baptism. Buried to my will, rising up to his will. Because Jesus wasn't saying, my body, I'm going to do what I want. He's saying, this is my body, but I'm giving it to the Father for what he wants. And what Jesus went through, is it asking too much? I don't think so. Because what he went through paid for that sin. And I would say to you this morning, if you've, whether it's, heterosexual, homosexual, halfway in between a sexual, whatever it is, the shame that you feel that he took that on the cross too. To make you clean. There's a story in scripture that I just love so much because it was a story of a woman caught in the act of adultery. And so many of our world today, someone caught in that act or whatever, what do we do? We shun them. She stood there naked and ashamed. And Jesus, the men came, they wanted to stone her. Look what she did. We're going to stone her because isn't that what the law says? And it says that Jesus told them that he who was without sin cast the first stone. And it says something really kind of cryptic. It says he stopped and he started writing on the ground. And one by one, they dropped their stones and left. What did he write that day? I wonder if what he wrote was the name of every person there and the sin that they were hiding. There's Darren and Lust. I got nothing. There's Jimmy and his greed. There's Johnny and his 
fornication when they all walked away. And he says to her, and I love this, and this is the part that I just, I hold on to for my own life. He said, then neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He didn't say, go and sin no more and I won't condemn you. I always get the order wrong. (laughs) He said it backwards. Isn't the way of the kingdom always that? I don't condemn you. Go and sin no more. And by the way, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk about what that feels like to walk in the Spirit, to the fruit of the Spirit, and how different it is from the work of flesh in our lives. But I feel like this morning that for us, the right information is that sexual immorality, anything outside of the design of God in your life for marriage, a man and a woman coming together, is destructive for you. And I'm not angry at you. I'm just not. I mourn over my sins and I mourn over the sins of others and I mourn over the sins of this country because I know what it does. I remember what it was like. I remember what it felt like when I was lost and I didn't even know it. And I remember what it felt like when I came home. father's house he financed the journey for the prodigal son he didn't have to pay for it he said look that's the journey you're going to have to go on and know that the light like Tom Bodell at Motel 6 the light is always on and we all have different variations of that journey and understand that you're welcome wherever you are on that journey at this church and this church family you're welcome the light is on And for those of us who came here this morning, we wanted to do the anti-gay message. And that prodigal son, what was happening at home, that son was so judgmental, talking about prostitutes. Who said anything about prostitutes? Who's been thinking about prostitutes? Legalism is just as much of a prodigal journey. It's a prodigal journey without leaving home. But for those of you on the other side, and you maybe feel that shame, the door's open, the Father is waiting, and maybe you've got a longer journey, and maybe for those of you who are worried about your children, welcome them home. Shaming them isn't going to do you any good. I cannot, man's righteous anger doesn't lead to righteousness in anybody. It's only the, his loving kindness that leads us to repentance. Kindness means telling the truth, and I hope I did that this morning. I hope I did what Paul, when he was standing on the shores of Ephesus, when the, he was leaving and they were crying and waving, he said, everything I've known in the word, I've made known to you. I didn't leave anything out. I hope I can do that for you this morning. And in all the other ways that I will fail you, that this wasn't one of them, that I've made known what I know. And what I know is that the God of all the universe became man because he knew, because he wanted to be, because he was going to be like you. He would be tempted in all ways and he would live a sinless life and that he would pay this price so great that you could never pay it in a currency you don't even possess. And he could stand up that night and say, my body is broken so that yours doesn't have to be, that yours can be buried and resurrected and that one day when we step into heaven, no more male, female, no more husband, wife, but we step into eternity, no longer seeing the picture of God, but we are with God. He paid that price so that you could be clean. There's a woman that is Annie Lobert who has started a ministry, Hookers for Jesus. He just said hookers in church. Annie was, if you, many of you maybe know her story. If not, go home and Google. I've just, her stories are so amazing and incredible. And over the years, gave herself to countless men, thousands and thousands of men, gave a piece of herself to all these people. And learned that the destruction of her life, the shame, the guilt. 
and found her way into a church, actually, and found her way to a group of people that said, no, Jesus loves you just the way you are. Jesus can make you clean. And there's a CNN interview. I wish I would have brought it and played it for you, but this, the host was being hostile. <laughs> Big surprise. And he says to her towards the end of the year, Annie, what do, you, what do you think that Jesus did for you? And through tears, she broke down and she said, he made me clean. And he can do that for you and you'd be crazy not to take it. Actually, in a moment, we're going to baptize Gage, a little guy who's decided he wants to follow Jesus in the waters of baptism. And for you this morning, I would encourage you to put your stones down and examine your own hearts on your own journey and come home to the Father. Is it acts of rage? Is it drunkenness? What is it? Come home to the Father. I would love to pray with you. And maybe this morning you thought, I didn't come to get baptized, but I'll tell you, if you want to come this morning and get baptized and bury yourself in the waters of baptism and allow him to metaphorically wash clean, come down here right now. We'll figure it out. We'll get you a towel. Your car will dry. As Philip said on the way, you know, to, why not now? Why not get baptized right now? I know we didn't plan it. We didn't announce it. We don't have a certificate suitable for framing for you. But neither did Jesus. Pray about it. Think about it. As our worshipers come, I want you to know that I love you guys, all of you. And I want you to know that I understand that maybe not all of you are going to agree with me on this. And I can be okay with that if you're okay with that. If you feel like you have to not be with us as part of our family anymore, that would absolutely break my heart. but I understand it's too painful for some, I understand. But I just want you to know that you're welcome here. And if you're struggling secretly, quietly with same-sex attraction, openly, you're welcome here. And on your journey following Jesus, at some point, maybe in that part of your life, You'll submit it in the waters of baptism, so to speak. You'll bury that part. But know that, look, there are some things I got, I've, I'm doing pretty good in. I haven't murdered anybody this week. I'm nailing that one. And there are other parts that the Lord is still transforming me in, just like you. My prayer is that he'll continue that transformation and that you know that you feel the love of a heavenly father that just wants you to come home. Don't wait till you're clean. Don't wait till you get that. How many took a shower last night? This morning. The last 24 hours. And last week. (laughs) How many took a shower before they took a shower? You don't get cleaned up to take a bath. Let the Heavenly Father begin to wash you this morning in the shame and the guilt and and again, we're going to talk about if, if you're struggling in that area or in other areas of sexual immorality or anger or drunkenness or lasciviousness or whatever, the whole list. Just go to Galatians 5, cross-reference it with your life. I promise you'll see yourself somewhere. We're going to talk about that and what it really means to walk in the Spirit. I got great news for you, <laughs> but we're going to talk about that next time. Father, would you give us wisdom this morning? It's a topic that I don't like, and I know that nobody here likes it, but I know that you you gave clarity to it, and you died because of it. And let the government do what it will. As Americans and have the right to, they have the right to do whatever they want to, good for them. But in our kingdom, Lord, might we submit ourselves, submit my body, not my choice, not my body, my business, but my body buried and resurrected to your will for me. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for washing us clean. Thank you, Jesus, for the shameful things that we did, that you were able to wash those away, that you died not for just the sins I 
committed but the sins I will commit today and the sins I commit tomorrow that you died and washed them all that my relationship with you is fine because of that and Lord as a church would you forgive us for the judgmental nature for the hateful things we've said for the stupid things we've said over the years ostracizing would you forgive us Lord and those same sins are all taken care of on the cross as well. Very quickly, if you've struggled with that same-sex attraction and gay sin in your life, I want you to know you might have been told that God hates you because of that. I want you to hear me say this as clear as I can. God did not say that he loved the world so much, that he loved straight people so much that he would come into all the world. He loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son. That means he loves you. He loves you. And I'm sorry if you felt hated or ostracized even by me. Lord, we give ourselves to you wholeheartedly this morning that we could all, as we stumble towards redemption together, find the cleanness, the justification that I stand and you don't see me or my sin or my shame, you see Jesus. What a genius master plan. I'm so grateful and I give you glory for that, God. Give us wisdom. Give us understanding. Give us application. In your name we pray. Amen.